Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. This episode is a follow-up discussion with Brian Hardiswick, but rather than focusing on mixing philosophies and approaches, we dive deep into the other side of our crazy lives and talk about taking care of yourself while touring or while at home. Brian is passionate about improving himself, and he tries to share that excitement with others by encouraging them to take little steps toward taking better care of their mental, physical, and financial well-being. So while this isn't a traditional Mix Masters geek-out-over-gear-and-mixing episode, it's one that I think you'll find particularly useful. Enjoy and take care. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Mix Masters Podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Litcher. I'm joined again today by Brian Hardiswick. Uh, if you were lucky or smart, you listened to his first episode uh, where we talked nuts and bolts of audio, and Brian is the man when it comes to front of house and monitors, and his story was absolutely fascinating. Uh, I enjoyed editing it, editing it, and I've listened to it while mowing the lawn and working on the car. Uh, so yeah, I do listen to my own podcast, but not because I like myself, but it's because I like everybody <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but yeah, so I'm joined again by Brian because we we talked after the recording, and there was so much really awesome stuff that we kicked around that I wanted to make sure we had a chance to share that with everybody else. Um, Brian, you're sitting on the beach in Florida. You've got a beautiful landscape behind you. Uh, I'm assuming you're doing okay still. Man, times are rough. It's uh, 85 and sunny, and there's palm trees all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh, uh, wildly jealous. It's uh, no, I've been. It's it's beautiful down here. Uh, my family just recently made the move down to Florida, and you know, being from South Dakota for 33 years, and these beautiful surroundings only being less than 30 minutes away, I just take full advantage while I can in the downtime. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of your family, uh, that's one of the things I've been following online is I know everybody knows you as a sound guy, uh, at least in our little corner of the world, but I think there's uh, a lot more to you and what you do and some of the things that really interest you and that you're passionate about. Um, I know you recently did a, a project on your, uh, I think it's your parents' house or your family house yep. uh, down in Florida. You want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing to stay busy? I know... Idle hands cause uh, are the devil's playground, right? But you're uh, avoiding that situation. Yeah, very much so. You know, they always say idle hands can get you into trouble. And, when, you know, we're all, most of us, I think everyone that you've talked to is so used to being on tour at least six months out of the year, if not eight, some 10, some are out there 300 days a year, you know? And so we're always used to being busy. And then you come home, or in this case, the world stops and your whole world stops. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with my time? There's no 6 a.m. get up build a rig, fly it, staging, schedules, driving, catering, you know, all that stopped. And so my parents uh, finally retired and got out of South Dakota and moved down to Florida and bought a, a retirement house with the intentions of some remodelment. 
And uh, I came down in, what was it, March 21st and moved into the house and I painted everything, been replacing doors, windows, working on the floors, and then just moved some walls and basically just created an open floor plan for them. And so my uncle kind of took the lead and I learned a lot from him on that. And I've always been fascinated with before and after home remodeling projects. So I've been very thankful to have that to keep busy and the beach and going for runs. And really, I have to, important for me has been to burn energy every day. You know, out of the road, you're always go, go, go nonstop 18 hours a day. So by the time you lay down, you're shot and you're ready to get your rest. So for me, I'm just trying to you know, exert as much of that energy as I can at home and still get good night rest, uh, eight hours of sleep and still keep my morning on track, my lunch time on track and, you know, dinner as on schedule as I'm kind of used to. Sure. I know, um, you know, you do a lot of production management with, um, in this moment, you help build sets and things like that. Did that, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that was a big benefit when you were working on the house. It was, you know, I'll be, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't really have any electronic skills and coming from an audio engineer, a lot of people would, you know, look down upon that. But when I was, when I went to school for audio and you know, I started getting on the road, just the mixing side, using my ears and creating mixes is where the interest came in. So the electronic side always kind of just went over my head. Um, but yeah, you know, building fake trees to castles to staging that looks like whatever the boss wants it to look like. A lot of that has helped me to like plan, use my day, know what I'm capable of doing in a certain amount of time, ordering from Lowe's and Home Depot, um, all the way to, you know, like in my head, I knew what it was going to look like when it was done. So I kind of was able to keep myself and my uncle on track because, you know, we knew what color this was going to be, where the wall was going to come out here, the way this was going to, you know, stick out beyond this measurements, all that. So it definitely helped. Uh, but I still know nothing about wiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in a former life, I was an electrician, so I can uh, I can help supplement there if need be. Perfect. I may I may call you because I'm going to pull something out of the wall and be like, I don't know what I should do with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot safer for me to be, you know, that distance. I can't uh, shock myself by accident. So. Right. Yeah, I'll be happy. Is the red wire good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> it can be both, depending on who wired it originally. <laughs> right. I can, though. I can do distros. I know how to do those safely and effectively. Yeah, that is that is a, a good thing. Those can right. ruin your day pretty quickly if you uh, do the wrong right. thing. <laughs> Magic smoke. Um, Very much so. <laughs> so I know you uh, you like to stay busy, and you, you're you an active guy. Um, you know, you, you run these days. What got you into running? Uh, you know, honestly, it came out of nowhere. Uh, in high school, I never was in sports. I was always in band and theater, and like we talked in the last one, always working on the school productions and play productions and whatnot. Um, by three or four years ago, when I was back home, I came off of a tour, and this was when I still lived in South Dakota. Well, as you know, the winter times up there are extremely brutal. And I was like, I need to go out. I want to be outside. I want to do something. I need to burn energy. And that's what I was trying to figure out how to do is to burn energy. And so I just went to the gym one day and I didn't know much about lifting weights or, you know, anything like that. But I was like, well, I can run. I know how to use a treadmill and cardio makes sense. So I just ran one day and I ended up running like three and a half miles and I felt good. I got that runner's high and the endorphins were kicking in. And I was like, this is pretty awesome. And then from there, I just kept running and setting goals. And most of it was indoor running. So now I've been introduced to the world of outdoor running in Florida because now that I have the opportunity to. Uh, and that's a whole nother world. Every muscle that I couldn't feel before, I can feel and they hurt. And it definitely takes a lot more out of you because you're using your body instead of a, an electric sidewalk that's moving automatically under you. Uh, but I love it. It just, I can put in my in-ears and go for, you know, a three to five mile run and just choose to think about work or not work or just listen to music and kind of, you know, just disappear in your own mind for a while. Oh yeah. And that for me is very important every day. Yeah. You got to take care of the brain and the body. But, um, so I, 
I, I, it doesn't look like it, but I used to be into triathlons real heavy. And, and like you, I started out on the treadmill. Did you find that when you first went for a run outside that you couldn't pace yourself? Like I, I ran into that right away. I, I was running way faster outside than I was used to on the treadmill. And like after a half a mile, I was like, holy crap, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. I mean, my first time, when I did, so down here, I kind of just I, I, uh, mapped out a mile long pass. And so I was like, got on my running shoes, did my stretches. I listened to like super heavy, hardcore, like job for a cowboy and a mirror, stuff like that when I'm running. Uh, and I'm like getting ready to take off. Like I'm Forrest Gump, fresh out of braces. And I'm like, <laughs> I make it, I don't know, like a quarter of a mile and I'm like winded and shot and I can't breathe. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? This is bad. I think I have COVID-19 or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had to realize that like, I'm when I'm in that mentality and I'm listening to that music, I just want to go, go, go but I had no pace. I had no cadence to my running. Yeah. Uh, so I had to teach myself and I started listening to music at like a 140 BPM and I will kind of time my feet to the snare drum. And that's how I kind of found a cadence with running. And then, you know, if I feel like going harder, I'll do one mile sprints and I'll listen to heavier, faster music, but I use the rhythm section to keep my cadence. Cause otherwise I'm like, I'm all over the place. Oh yeah. That's cool. I never, I, I always listened to music when I ran, uh, but I used like a GPS watch to pace myself, but finding a cadence to the music that's that you're sort of hitting two birds yep. with one stone. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's also, I'm by no means like a mega athlete at all and I don't want to hurt myself. Uh, and so I just try to find a pace that's comfortable and try to shave off a few seconds every run. And now I'm, when I started running, I was doing like nine thirty a mile and now I'm doing, uh, like six ten six or excuse me, seven ten seven twenty miles off. I sprint, I can hit like a six fifty to seven. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, it's rare that I'm doing that. Cause again, I'm not trying to kill myself and break my knee or slip and fall on some wet sprinkler system in our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No kidding. But, uh, yeah, you know, just exerting energy. It feels good. Your endorphins kick off and that kind of just kept my attraction to running. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Um, yeah. Anything to keep yourself healthier and, and, you know, in a better state during this downtime or after a tour, I think that that's yep. really vital and important. Um, what else? Uh, I know what you mentioned on the first podcast that uh, you were trying to encourage, you know, your crew to eat healthy and to be healthy and to take take care of themselves. Um, I'm assuming that that's just as important to you right now while we're not on tour. Do you have any thoughts or uh, philosophies that you like to follow around that? Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, man, it's it's you know, you want to you take your food as your medicine before your medicine becomes your food. You know, um, and just as I've gotten older, I've just I've researched on social media and I've surrounded myself with people that cook well and they eat well and seeing the results, not even just physically, but mentally, you know, um, like my buddy, uh, Josh Morundi, the, uh, ex drummer from pop evil, uh, owns a CrossFit gym and a micro grocery store. Um, and I follow him a lot on nutrition and, you know, I wake up in the morning, I'll do it. I'll have a, a half a box, a half a 10 ounce box of spinach, a couple egg whites. Um, I'll throw like a couple little pieces of, uh, some, some local raised pork in there, or if I want to do like a lean Turkey, and I eat that and it feels like my body feels that as fuel and throughout the rest of the day, that'll carry me and I'll feel bursts of energy. I feel clean inside. I feel energized. And then I've had days, you know, where you wake up and you run to McDonald's or you grab something quick or something very processed. And I felt bogged down in my head. I'll get a bit of a headache. So I'm definitely really starting to feel what good food can do for your body. And as it keeps you energized and motivated and clear thinking, especially in our industry, you know, you walk up to a festival, you've got four hours to dump a truck, get the rig up a 10 minute changeover, you know, if you just wake up and you're feeling groggy or you're hungover or you're just eating something that's quick and processed versus 
waking up feeling rested, feeling energized and excited, it can make or break your day oh, in yeah. any position that you're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to keep talking about my own scenario, but probably no, not at all. 15 years ago, I was like well over 350 pounds. Uh, and you know, I was sitting on the couch eating frozen pizzas, eating Cheetos, ironically watching the Ironman competition. <laughs> and I saw this 88 year old lady doing her eighth Ironman event and they asked her how she got started. And she, you know, said she was overweight. She was diabetic. She had all these health problems. She was 80 years old when she put on a pair of running shoes and she just, yep. she did couch to 5k. If anybody's not familiar with that program, it's a really good way to get started running. And from there she started doing marathons and then she started doing triathlons and then she started doing Ironmans, which is, you know, a, a, a branded form of a, a 140.6 uh, triathlon. But, yep. um, so I started, I like, I tried to do the same thing. And I, just like you, I noticed as soon as I started eating more cleanly, I felt instantly better and I didn't have like a Cheeto or anything like that for well over a year. And then I, I like treated myself to one a year later and I couldn't believe how garbage tasting it was. I was like, I used to yep. live on these things and you know, no wonder why I felt like crap all the time. Dude, that's, it's interesting you say that is that was the biggest thing I noticed. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like once in a while we go out for a couple of drinks and it's, it's midnight and somebody's like, yeah, we're about to get some McDonald's chicken nuggets. I'll throw down on some McDonald's chicken nuggets. <laughs> Uh, but it's rare, but I, and I eat a majority of the time so well that you do start to taste the processing in foods, especially like, like if you get Doritos, I used to eat Dorito chips all the time in college, like Doritos and Mountain Dew were life. And then, you know, I hadn't eaten them for years and I had like a, a cool ranch Dorito and I tasted it and I'm like, nothing was satisfying about it. Nothing tasted good. It just tastes like a bunch of chemicals and stuff mixed in this hard, crunchy thing. Yeah. And I was like, man, no more. And kind of dipping into the, the as far as the crew and the road goes a lot of mentors of mine not all of them but some these older guys and, and men and women you know smoking cigarettes drinking red bulls you know just un, living an unhealthy lifestyle while maintaining a tour they just look miserable like they don't look happy you know they're people are grumpy people are yelling during the day and i think a lot of that comes to they just don't feel good they feel like their job that they're doing they're having to physically like pull it out of themselves and like what's the enjoyment in that versus feeling good and energized and like crushing a show or whatever your job is and having the mentality and the physique of feeling good about it. It just, it, to me, it, it kind of, it goes hand in hand. And I see a lot of people that don't have that mentality. And I mean, it's a sad thing to say, but it's killing them every day a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. The garbage begets garbage. You know, it's the more you take in, the more you get used to it, the more you eat it and you get stuck in this vicious cycle and uh, yeah, cleaning up, you know, it's difficult for the first, you know, bit, but then, you really do start to feel better. So I, I admire what you're doing and I think it's awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's, you know, it's, and every day it's, it's research. It's asking people questions. Uh, you know, like yesterday I had the first time I, uh, a raspberry vinaigrette salad with fruit in it. I've never had it like to me, like salad with fruit in it. It looks weird. I'm like that. I don't know anything about this, but I wanted to try it and it tasted great. And I was energized all day. You know, we had that, that kayak trip yesterday morning for three hours out in the sun. And I felt a little exerted from that and ate up and was, ready to rock and roll yeah what do you um what's a typical day look like for you as term in terms of like food and taking care of yourself when you're on tour do you have any secrets or um thoughts that you'd like to share about around that yeah um so my typical day up seven eight o'clock in the morning uh an important thing for me this isn't really a health thing it's i guess it's more hygiene but i like to wake up in the morning uh before anybody else on the bus is up and like enjoy a few minutes of like brian time get up 
put on clean clothes. I brush my teeth, you know, the usual morning routine. Uh, but now in the last few tours, I'll go right in the venue and shower as soon as the truck and the buses are parked. Uh, I'll go shower right away. And if I can, if I can shower and like comb my hair, get, you know, clean clothes on, get my little office set up. Like the day is that's 50% of my day. That's stellar right there. Just something about having that morning routine. You know, you wake up, you feel good. You feel clean, ready to take on the day. Um, I've, since I've been off this, this most recent tour, I've been doing these cold pressed juice shots in the morning. And all it is, is uh, lemon juice, pineapple juice, uh, ginger root and cayenne pepper. Uh, just a normal size shot and I'll take that in the morning and it just helps cleanse and the acidity kind of helps clean out your stomach and you know keeps the bacteria down and I'll do that with uh, sweet potato a couple eggs and I'm ready to rock uh, on tour cooking's a little bit harder on a bus especially when you have six to twelve people living with you um, so for me like Nutri-Grain bars water bananas uh, I got a little ninja so I'll make little shakes on the road with some protein in them uh, and then just try to eat a really clean dinner when I get to that point are you um, are you finding tour managers are are leaning more towards the healthy side of things these days, or is it still pretty much every man for himself? Uh, I mean, it's you see a lot more vegan requests, gluten free requests, more people doing keto. Um, it's definitely healthy eating and an overall healthier lifestyle is becoming more prominent, which I think is great uh, in any aspect, not just the entertainment world. Um, but you do definitely see people in catering asking more about what kind of oils are in this, what kind of butters. Is there, you know, what kind, what's the sugar content? Um, people on the bus riders are asking for more just black coffee and not adding tons of creamer and sugar. Um, so, yeah, I am, I am definitely seeing it becoming a more prominent move on people's behalf uh, from band and crew, which is great. Yeah. Uh, going on, staying on topic, but a little off the wall question. Are you a coffee mate guy or are you a black or cream or what do you like to put in your coffee? I'm an iced black coffee in the morning kind of guy, uh, whether it's wintertime or summer. Uh, I did buy uh, my first uh, Chemex. Uh, oh, we yeah. used a Chemex before. Yeah. Um, to me, it was the best tasting, cleanest coffee. So I'll just I'll let the Chemex do the coffee, and that was poured over ice, and that'll be my go-to in the morning. Uh, once in a while, I may do like a shot of espresso, but I don't add any creamer or sugar. Uh, my thing is, I'm going to find a bean that I really like. I want it. I want to taste the bean and not dilute it with other stuff. Yeah. Uh, for those not familiar, Chemex is like a, a pour-over style of coffee. Um, yep. So. What you do is you have this like it's like an hourglass shaped coffee vase, and in the top of it a a, a tri-folded paper filter goes in. It makes like a cone, and you put like a, a ground coffee in there. You do sort of like a, a sand like grind, and then you pour hot water over it, and it drains through the filter. Um, and Chemex, I think, is the company that makes the container and the filters, which is why it's called that. But um, yep. I started drinking that um, a couple of years ago, and I'll, I can't go back to any other kind of coffee. It's it's so good. It's so clean. It's the best. And now, like, I mean, I'm a you know I'm a bit of a white girl when it comes to pumpkin spice season. <laughs> and uh, I found uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where my buddy Josh lives, the Kalamazoo Coffee Company does a uh, a pumpkin spice roast bean. And I always buy a couple bags of those each year, and they come out and order them. Uh, it's just kind of a, fl- a flavor that I like leading up to Christmas time. Yeah. So I always, always try to change out the flavors for the season and try different stuff. So if anybody's ever out on the road and wants to bring a little gift, I accept all sorts of bags of coffee beans. I'm making note of that. <laughs> I know what to send you for the holidays. Yes, <laughs> I will. And then I'll call you, and we'll do another. We'll do a Christmas, a Christmas decorating, Christmas light podcast, Zoom meeting after I've had three cups of it and see how fast I can talk. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That, and maybe we'll decorate some cookies while we're in there. 
dude, I'm down. I would love to do that. <laughs> Let's hope that we're on the road at that point and we're not looking for things to do in December. True. Yeah. I'm, uh, I do. I mean, I don't want to stretch too far off the topic, but I do. I, I hope to foresee things kicking off in September. I'm seeing tours and shows being booked in that time frame. So I always try to keep the glass half full and hopefully we'll see things happening by that point. Yeah. I just, I, this won't be a timely reference, you know, before too long, but I just got a, an update about the Blue Ridge uh, Music Festival in Virginia and they're still planning to go ahead and have controls in place for social distancing. Uh, you know, they're outlining what they're going to be doing. Um, and that's in September, I think. So it would very well, you know, knock on wood, things might slowly get back to some sense of normalcy. Absolutely. The uh, Tampa nine, or 98, uh, the, the rock station in Tampa, just booked, uh, rebooked 98 Rock Fest with Shinedown, Hailstorm, I think uh, like Beartooth and a few other bands for like September 4th. So they've already announced the postponed date and tickets are on sale. Wow, cool. Yeah, let's hope that that trend continues. Absolutely. All right. Um, so we, we're sort of jumping all over the place here, and I apologize uh, for people. It's all right. <laughs> they feel like a ping pong ball here. But um, I start talking to you, and I get all these other ideas, and then I lose track of what I really want to talk about. <laughs> That's how my, my brain is like. My, if I could explain my brain, it's like when you're going through a card index really fast, and you're just flipping. That's how my brain is. So it's like, let's go from like cookies to beach talk to golfing to how why seabirds eat fish in three seconds <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of seabirds behind you I've, I've been seeing them uh go by and uh hear them occasionally so it's appropriate yeah, I, I hired a company to send them off behind me to make the whole thing look more presentable that is some awesome production value um you know it's a little it's a little things <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of production value and production management um you know, in addition to being a, a world-class sound engineer, you're also a production manager. Um, I, and I think if I'm going back to my memory here properly, when you were in school, you did a lot of production work. And that's is that how you found yourself landing in that role? And, and what do you enjoy about production management? Absolutely. Uh, like on that last, the first episode when we talked about being in high school and college and working on the, you know, the set pieces and moving walls back and forth and curtain calls and all that. Um, I just found that it was, it was fascinating. It was fun. It was exciting to, to do a scene and then do a blackout and then have to change what the whole room looks like in you know 10 seconds. So the, the interest of production managing was always there. And the organization of it, you know, where's this truck going to park? Where do the buses have to be? What time is load in? How much stage space do we get? Um, all of that, you know, when somebody goes to a show and they see 10 bands on stage and they're always like, oh, man, that's so much gear on stage. They never really understand what goes into getting all that on stage and the process of getting it on and off and the way that everything works. Um, so when I started with pop evil, you know, I went from doing drum teching to monitors to front of house that led to stage managing, which kind of, I got to help them design their first set. And when designing it, I had to think of how can we move these risers on quickly? How much room do we have in the trailer? How much lighting can we take? Is our distro big enough for the smaller rooms that we're playing and all these questions. So we needed to have the answers to. So that's where I really got into it. And then going out with bands like nothing more. And then that leading to in this moment, which is a obviously extremely production heavy band. Um, I like taking the weight on my shoulders of that task and knowing how the entire operation is going to operate from the day that Maria calls me and has something drawn on paper to the day that it's coming out of the semi for the first time and on stage. Um, and so just knowing, being organized and having a crew of people that, you know, what time can we load in? Where can we put this? What time can we run our audio snake? Where can monitor world go? I like having all those answers for people. Um, sometimes they're not always the most efficient answers as I'm waiting on other people 
Uh, sometimes I'll have the whole tour, you know, it's a headliner well advanced two months ahead of time. And some venues will be like, you know, can you call me when time gets closer? But I just like to know that all of our, all of our production, every question, every email, every folder is sent and done well ahead of showing up to a venue. Cause it, it really just makes your day so much smoother, especially when you're one of three and you show up and you, I mean, for lack of better terms, you have your shit together. Uh, you're just, you're already in, in the good hands with the, the next band up and the headliner. You never want to show up and you know, shit's just chaotic. Then you're going to have a struggle for the whole tour and you never want to start off on that foot. Yeah. So when, when you're in those multi band, uh, productions, are most of the bands also, do they have their own production managers on the, the tours that you're doing? Uh, they do. So, you know, kind of the way that, uh, as most people know, on a tour would, would operate is you have your tour manager, you have a production manager, a stage manager, and then you have your crew. And not that any one of those positions trumps another one. That's just kind of how I always send my emails. The tour manager, obviously the boss, production manager, boss of all the production, working closely with the artists. And then you want to have everything organized. So when the stage manager shows up, they have their own job of moving this whole set back and forth and staying on a time base. So, you know, if we're going out with, for example, Shinedown and they're like, all right, you have 24 feet um, downstage of a midstage truss. That means they're going to build their rig on a, on, a, on a 40 by 60 deck. They're going to fly up a midstage truss, which lands in the middle of the stage. And I know that for Maria's setup, she has to have 23 feet exactly for her riser and stuff to fit. We still have to be able to get our backdrop up. So, you know, a lot of that, you know, now I'm working with their production manager, their stage manager's working with our stage manager, and we're just thinking of how all this is going to flow prior to that first day. Because obviously, you know, the first day on a tour is always chaotic. Yeah. Something always changes. Somebody always wants something more, something less. Stage isn't big enough, uh, whatever it may be. Um, so I do find myself reaching out ahead of time and asking, you know, in some tours, we'll let you bring your whole show and some tours will let you bring half your show. Um, you know, a headliner, if they've worked really hard and spent a lot of money on a pyro rig, and you're bringing in pyro, they may ask that you roll that back um, so that they can have their moments because they've taken the time to get to the position of where they are. Some some production managers and bands will be like, bring it all, balls to the wall. Like we want everybody to, that's paying to see this event to have a great time and get their money's worth. Yeah. So uh, obviously you're not able to bring the other bands in for rehearsal. So you're trying to coordinate all of that through emails and phone calls and fun stuff like that before the tour. And then... Um, yeah, it, it slowly comes together after the first couple of shows, and then before long, it just seems like second nature. Yep, it does. And, you know, you'll see, I'll watch footage back, and I watch game tape every night. So kind of same similar thing as a football team would do. Um, like in pre-pro, I film, I record everything live, and I'll just sit in my bunker in the hotel room and listen back and watch. And, you know, I'll give Maria ideas. She'll give me ideas. We'll talk about audio. Like, this light should go here. I think if we move this riser to the left, it'll help us get the right one out quicker. Um, so I watch and then I'll go on Instagram once we're on tour and I'll watch every video on every hashtag just to keep myself working and, and better and keep my ear trained and, you know, just make myself a more efficient leader, production manager, audio engineer, whatever needs to be done. That's, I believe that, you know, you never stop learning and you should never stop perfecting your craft in whatever measure that may be. Are you guys making adjustments to your show based on stuff that you see on social media ever, or is it just yes. pretty much really? Oh yeah. Um, so with like, for example, with ITM, just cause that's still the gig that I'm doing. Uh, we set up a GoPro and an iPad at front of house and a zoom recorder. And I record into pro tools or now logic or logic pro, uh, multi-track. And every night Maria will watch GoPro footage. She'll take the iPad in her bed and she'll watch it on that sometimes. And then she'll listen back to the recordings. Um, and then we'll go on Instagram and she'll be like, you know, um, I think the backdrop should be a foot lower. 
I think that we should move uh, this over that way. I think we should paint this white instead of black. Um, and really the whole reason for that is because we want the fans to have the best experience. You know, the thing, the cool thing with ITM is it's a theatrical show. Um, it's not just a band up there playing. So we, it's got to look cool from multiple angles. It's got to look right when she's doing a costume change. We try to make it look like she disappears in the fog. Um, so there's a lot of elements that are happening by the second that we're always just trying to perfect for, you know, for everyone's uh, pleasure. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I first, uh, I first heard Drew Thornton talking about, you know, taking social media into account for his mixes and what a role nope. that that's starting to play. And yeah, I think that we're heading down that direction where you, you're trying to find a balance between, you know, the, the live attendees and people watching on social media and, you know, trying to find that sweet spot. Yeah, I will. Um, I mean, I, it's, I think it's pretty standard statement, but if a, if a mix sounds good on a phone, I think it sounds great in person. And so I'll judge, even I'll critique my own stuff. I'll listen to mixes and I'll try to not look at the production and just listen, you know, put in my in-ears and I'll listen to it on that and I'll listen to it on a phone. And, you know, that's, I'll, I'll be like, oh, you know, I think I can fix the snare drum a little bit, or I could do this with her delay, or I think I could do this with the piano. Um, I guess I always just keeping my own self on my toes. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned of late about your role as a pr uh, production manager that you may have wished you knew earlier on? Um, I think the biggest thing is utilizing downtime. You know, even right now, like I've been off for, well, I guess almost a whole year, it feels like. Uh, but, you know, even now, like Bray and I are still talking. Uh, we're, we are doing a whole new stage show that nobody has seen from just this last tour. And we did all the big houses and her riser and all that. We've got a whole new thing we we're bringing out. I already had it all drawn up and ready to go. And it was actually, it was, I had a dream that we did this thing. I don't want to give it away, obviously, because it'd be cool when people get to see it. I had a dream that we did it and I, I put it on. And with her, a lot of artists want the visual. You can sit and say, I've got this idea where this helicopter comes in and these zebras jump out. And then the whole thing looks like a crazy jungle. But until they can see it on paper, they can't really like, justify pulling the trigger on something. And so I put it in. I made the stage plot. I brought the light fixtures in. I designed the whole thing. And I sent it to her. And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, I really like what we have. And then a few days later, she called me. And she's like, all right, we're doing that. So I had the whole thing ready to go. But even now, I'm still renting uh, the room in Nashville to do pre-pro just so it doesn't get booked out. So each month that we keep postponing, I keep postponing that rental. Um, I'm staying in contact with Sound Image and Four Wall Lighting, Pyrotech. Froggy's Fog, all these companies and letting them know, all right, we just pushed another month. We pushed another month. These are my sheets. These are all my Excel sheets of all the gear that I still want. These are all the, this is the fog juice order. This is the audio order. Um, so even though that I'm not working, I'm still talking to all these companies and, and staying relevant with them and her and keeping just the ball rolling. Because once you stop doing that, uh, you start to get behind, I believe. And once you start getting things behind, you're like, wait, did I make that phone call? Did I send that email? Um, it just helps everybody know that, you know, the work is coming back. Yeah. Uh, way off topic here. Uh, but I, my, my nerd brain can't help but ask the question, uh, what type of foggers are you guys using and how much fog juice do you use in a show roughly? <laughs> oh, you sitting down? Cause you're going to blow your mind with this. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so with ITM, one of the biggest battles has always been the fog. Uh, for a long time, it was when they were starting out, you know, they didn't have the money to buy pro. So a lot of it was like the, the cheap $25 fog machines. Well, at one point they had like 10 of them and they're all kind of wired together and then they would leak and somebody would get electrocuted. And, but it's, it's all the DIY stuff, you know, the same thing that Alice Cooper and Manson all did when they were starting. Um, so we found a good balance. Now the new thing has been these low foggers. So there's a company in Nashville called Froggy's Fog 
and they're the number one like haunted house fog provider frog uh fluid snow machines low fog thick fog scented fog um, you name it they can make it anything in the fog world so they came out with these new uh poseidon a5s and we have we carry four of those um they're a very expensive machine but the output i can put four of those on a stage I split the hose out of each machine and I can cover a, a 60 by 40 deck in minutes wow. uh, with cold. Uh, it doesn't require any sort of um, CO2 um, inside of it. The machine will atomize and uh, produce cold fog. That was the whole cool thing about these machines. They're only, they're three feet by two feet. They weigh 105 pounds each. Uh, they take five gallons of fluid, five gallons of distilled water, and it'll produce the coldest, thickest, low fog uh, on the stage. We'll generally go through, on one tour, I'll order 125 gallons of fog juice. And wow. we'll come home with maybe five left over. Holy cats. Are you uh, having that drop shipped to different places, or do you load it up in the truck and travel with it? Um, so what I'll do is I send the machines into Nashville to get serviced at the end of each tour. So I'll personally drive the five, the four machines down to Froggy's. It's an hour south of Nashville. Um, and then I'll have them deliver the first the first half of the fog order to prevent the charge of, of drop shipping. Um kind of leaning back into the production side of things uh money and watching where every dollar gets spent is also part of my gig um the tour manager will oversee everything but it's my job to provide the production numbers so if i can save us 125 dollars on a drop ship by having it delivered at the beginning of a tour i'll do that because you know that adds up then to 250 dollars by the end of it if i have to spend that money uh twice instead yeah. of spending it once so um but yeah we do uh, about 125 gallons of fog juice um, and that's just for those four foggers. We also have two ZR44s in each of our side trusses. Um, and those do those are a high output, just fog machine. They don't lay low. And that's when we're doing festivals and big rooms just to keep the fog fixed for all the beams of lighting. And then we also carry four, um, four hazers for lighting as well. Wow. And wow. CO2. A lot of <laughs> CO2. Holy cats. That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. Wow. And you know, it's, every day it's a balance. Like speaking of being a production manager, I have to go through each venue. If we play New York City, I have to make sure that I have a fire certificate and explosive permit filled out for the fire department. And then they have to come in. They have to, I have to operate everything for them. They have to see the fluids that I'm using. We have to make sure we do a fire watch. They shut off the fire alarm in the building. In some venues, if the alarm goes off, the show gets shut down. So there's a lot that, like a lot of people just see fog, but they don't realize that there's, there's a process to getting that much fog in some venues. Yeah, we um with my with my production company, we did a couple of events at one of the bigger high schools in the area, and same thing, you had to do the fire watch because the the director wanted a lot of uh, haze on the stage for the lighting, and that's an ordeal. You know, you got to make sure that you coordinate with the fire marshal, and they send guys out, and they turn off the system, and the monitoring company has to be involved, and so yeah, doing that yep. night after night, that there's a lot of coordination that goes into that. Yep. You know, sometimes you'll get artists like, for example, uh, a great friend of mine that lives down here, uh, Jerome, uh, Jeremy Jerome, is the tour manager for Breaking Ben. And Ben doesn't like haze or fog on stage. So, you, but, you know, he still wants a great looking light show. So you have to get an LD to figure out how to make beans without haze. So there's always different. There's so many different twists and turns using haze, fog, confetti, CO2. Some artists want vision A, some want vision B, some want vision C. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, if you don't do that testing, things can end, end badly. I was attending a show in Madison. Um, I think it was uh, Royal Blood. Uh, and they, uh, they, they set off the smoke alarm with their hazer. 
and the PA shut off, all the lights came on, and it's all automatic as soon as the smoke alarm detects yep. it. And that was it. Like, there were three songs in, and, and uh, everybody had to go, and that was it. So it can be. Yeah, we had, we had an unfortunate one of those this year, uh, last year with ITM in New York. Um, system that we were said it was shut off went off and it takes an hour for the fire department to arrive to shut it off and you can't do anything so our drummer did a, an acoustic drum solo uh, we brought out in a guitar and maria played a couple songs and we just it just wasn't working to the point where like show's over yeah yeah they they were really cool they they went out um onto the floor of the stage and did like a little in the round acoustic but it was not the same as as well and you know just no it was sort of cool but yeah uh, yeah it's disappointing yeah so you know that's you know that's that's why I try to spend as much time as I can advancing and production managing the show to prevent anything like that from happening because it's not fair to the fans. You know, there's there's uh, one thing I, about the show and this real quick tangent here is I always look around the room when our show is starting, whether it's a house of blues or an arena or a festival, and I look at the people and there's somebody in that room that has been waiting months, years to see that artist. It may be only one person on the festival that's there to see that band but you want to deliver the best show for them because they've waited so long and they finally got to wake up that morning, put on their favorite t-shirt, listen to the band drive, get their coffee, get all amped up. And like, that's their moment. Yeah. Like we get to do it every day. And sometimes I take that for granted. And so I always try to make sure that whoever that one person is or that arena that's full of them for that, everyone there for that band gets that special moment and that feeling for them to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great point. Um, going back to the uh, the set designs because they are so elaborate, do you recycle any of the the set pieces, or do you pretty much scrap, start over in between you know tours and and concepts? Yeah, um, on larger scale stuff, you know, like for example, Ghost when they had that massive set where it looked like they were in a church, a lot of that was getting refabricated at Gallagher staging. Uh, in our case, with ITM, a lot of it is like specifically made for her so you know we have like the giant horror podium or these big creepy trees or her castle set piece that she walks out of uh we'll try to use it as much as we can and try to paint it or hide it or turn it into something else but she's very adamant about you know the fans always getting a new show every album cycle so we try to change it completely so they don't see the same thing twice um so we do just try to recycle uh something i've done is i went through and basically made a an excel sheet of every piece of gear in the warehouse every prop, every backdrop, every eight by 10 photo. And I have it all categorized. And one day they would like to do a sale where people could go online or come in person, go on a website and be like, cool, you know, in this moment, blood backdrop item number one, one, four, five is available for X amount of dollars and they can own pieces of the show. So I have been organizing and categorizing everything the band owns. So when they do decide to pull that trigger, I can launch a website and, or if somebody wants to do it in person and they can come in and make purchases and own their favorite band's history if you will that'd be pretty cool that's uh yep. that's a great idea how do you protect that stuff while it's in transit because as we all know you know riding in a truck or a trailer stuff gets beat yep. up really quickly what do you what precautions do you take so you're not painting every night or rebuilding yep it does so uh you know with us we kind of have the battle we have a lot of stuff to move really quick so i the reason we'll do a semi is to, it's kind of super bowl mentality we can leave a lot of the pieces built and they just snap together and we go um all of our, you know, lighting lives in road cases with custom injected molding, uh, audio console, same thing. Um, you know, like Maria had these big, uh, like staffs made, um, and they were made by DJ Ashba's company out in Vegas. So those live in a custom made road case. Um, I mean, that's why they're a, a semi looks, it's all black and silver. It's all road cases. Uh, we use set cards for the big pieces, the riser decks, the wheels come out. 
you don't think about something as small as a caster on a wheel going over a cable ramp a hundred times. Well, it's going to weaken that point. It's going to start to loosen those bolts. It can start to affect the aluminum that the, the leg is made out of. And then you have to buy a new $200 riser leg. So we really try to be as cautious with, you know, set carts, set cart baskets, road cases, uh, backdrops get folded up every night nicely to prevent wrinkles and tears. Um, you know, that stuff's expensive. People don't think that a backdrop can cost up to $10,000. Um, you know, a stage set can, I've watched people write checks from 10,000 up to a million. Wow. And yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, you get these 15 truck shows or a Taylor Swift 45 truck semi show and you're millions and millions of dollars going into that every day. Yeah. And yeah, I think people's heads would explode outside of the industry if they knew, you know, like a, uh, like a high end systems, uh, moving head spotlight can cost, you know, $17,000 for one. Yep. And there's, you know, 30 of them on stage, like all that stuff adds up really quickly. It does, you know, and like with our thing with the theatrics, you know, we have three dancers that they need makeup. Well, if you think one thing of lipstick costs $25 or whatever it is, it costs, you know, and they have to use stuff that doesn't sweat and stays on their face and they can wipe off quickly for scene changes. Like all that adds up and adds up. And you start to see these numbers and something as small as lipstick. You're like, yo, like take care of that. Don't lose it. Don't let it melt under a light because we'd have to buy another one or buy another one. And it just, yeah, it, it all adds up so quickly. Do you, uh, do you lose a lot of stuff on tour? Or are you pretty good at making sure you, uh, leave with what you came with? Uh, we're pretty good on it. Um, I've had to, to stay on our crew about just like, like XLR cables and uh, uh, DMX cables for lighting. Even like the little shorties, we'll always get reports back of missing those. Um, and, and or like, you know, a socket or a wrench set or the gaff tape order wasn't replenished that they sent out with us. If we need if we agreed to refill that. So really just making sure like the little stuff doesn't get lost because, you know, we're pulling 800 cables a day. One gets left behind the venue. Well, that costs us 20 bucks. We lose 30 of those cables that adds up over time and we have to pay $500 to a company at the end of a tour. Yeah. I lost, <laughs> I lost a number of things on the last tour, but the thing that I lost more often than not were EtherCon jumpers. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know how I lost In fact, I was at the Gramercy in New York and I had my 10 foot EtherCon jumper and I was going to, to the console front of house and I was going to, you know, patch it. And somebody asked me for something. So I set it down for a second. I turned around to go help them. It was gone. Like I, I spent an hour walking around the grammar sea trying to find that cable gone. <laughs> like, how does it happen? Yeah. I'll never forget speaking of grammar sea real quick. When we did a show there a while back with pop evil, our guitar player had like the dual guitar rig with like his Mesa and Marshall head inside of it. And the front and the back were off. And one of the stagehands let it go. And you know, the floor obviously goes to an incline before the ramp goes yeah. up to the front of that deck. Yeah. And I just watched his rig cruise down the road or cruise down the whole thing, stop with the ramp and then just tip over and on all the tubes smash oh. inside of his uh, JCM 900 and his dual rec head. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's never fun when something like, and especially when you can see it happening and you just can't do anything about it. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of things breaking on the road on the production managing side of things is that's also your job is to fix stuff like that, you know, like like overnight and we'll do it later. And in a few hours, that doesn't always exist. You don't have that that benefit. And like Dave's like, I need tubes now. So, it's, you know, my job to go find someone from the venue that can tell me where the nearest music store, Guitar Center, Sam Ashes, that will have, you know, EL34s. Or, you know, so if the artist is like, hey, I need this or I need that, like it's part of my job also to be a Johnny on the spot and like get stuff done as quick and as efficient as possible. 
Yeah, and I guess if it's going to happen, New York is probably the better place to have it happen because there is so much stuff around. Uh, yep. You know, B&H is there, blah, 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 blah. So. Yep, and in Europe too. Like, Europe's even harder to find stuff, especially in a band like ITM when I need to get sheets of plywood. It's not like I can just go rent a truck and run down the street to Home Depot. Like, they have their versions of those things, but the process is just more different because it's not as native for us. It's different. It's a different land. It's a different, you know, way of going about things. I don't have, a, I don't have my hacksaw over there with me. So you just you have to learn how to utilize your time, and get and expect those requests. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. What are some of the major adjustments you have to do when you do an overseas tour? Um, you know, you're not yeah. in the U.S. What what are you as production manager? What are you adjusting for? Um, I mean, my overall job is to get the whole show to to the boss's expectations over the ocean. So that starts with one figuring out what we're going to take, and two what we need to rent from over there because obviously power is different. Um, and so when you're in, you know, when you're in Paris versus when you're in the UK, you have to make sure you have the proper plugs. Uh, you have to make sure like my power transformers are, you know, the boxes that will go from 220 to 120. So I need to, you know, all right, she has a dressing room. She needs one on the bus. The band needs one in the dressing room and I need 10 of them on stage. So I need to make sure I advance those. I need to advance my audio package and make sure that my distros are going to tie in because, you know, from country to country over there, it differs. Um, lighting, I have to make sure the lighting company's on the same page. Um, shipping all of our gear from here. I have to find a company, which I always use uh, Aces Cargo with Keith Mitchell. And I package all up in Nashville. A guy comes and picks it up. We, we put it on pallets to see how many pallets it's going to take. Then it has to get to Atlanta. Then it has to get strapped and bundled. Then it has to get approved. And then I have to make sure I have a carnet, which is a detailed uh, paperwork that has every single piece of gear, country of origin, weight, measurements, size, and contents. So when I send my pallet over there with a road case, with 100 tools in it, I have to have a piece of paper that has all 100 of those tools listed. Who makes them? So there's not one thing that's unaccounted for. Once it gets customs over there, it has to get cleared. Um, and then I have to get it unloaded and have to make sure I get it in our truck. And I have to get audio and lighting all at the same location. Um, so it's a lot of, I think the last time we went over there in 2018, uh, I was at like 1,800 emails from start to finish. Um, and these are all different companies, different people. And time is different. You got to remember that. So now when I'm up at 10 a.m. trying to send my email, they're already six hours ahead of me and they may be out of the office. Um, so I spend a lot of time setting my alarms at like two or three o'clock in the morning, waking up. Uh, like, for example, our balloons came from China. FedEx wouldn't deliver them over in the UK because somebody wasn't at the address. So they were holding them at a FedEx facility. So I had to call FedEx at 3.30 in the morning my time, get the balloons to be held and then have somebody come pick them up and approve it. And that was another piece of paper that I had to fill out and, you know, fax immediately. So just a lot of emails, paperwork, and making sure that you have proper power. Power is the biggest thing in all those countries. Yeah. Yeah, stuff can uh, release the magic smoke pretty quickly if yeah. you're not doing yeah, that. And, yeah, and never lose your passport or your SOL. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of the the paperwork and the customs, most people probably don't realize when you go – as a touring artist and you go to a different country, you pay taxes on the equipment that you bring in and you pay yep. taxes on your merch. And then what you come back with, you get taxed again. Like it's so crazy. All of these little things that, you know, people say, Oh, well, why does the ticket cost, you know, $65? It used to be $10. There's yep. all these other costs that you, that so many people just, can't fathom and i didn't understand until i really got immersed in it and it's it's crazy right um you know a, a quick little story uh, speaking of overseas in production that uh, curveball we got thrown with is we rented a bus from a company and we were sent pictures of it and told it was one thing 
And that's one thing with ITM is when we go over there, they have the double decker buses where you can put 16 people on it. Um, so it's important that we have a very nice, well air conditioned bus. Um, and we got over there and I, I always go over like a, a week early so I can make sure my travels are, are good to go. My trains are on time. If I'm, if something happens or if I were to miss a train or audio doesn't show up for a day, I always have a few days to let that happen. I would never go over the day before that everything is supposed to arrive. And unless I had to, or that's all time allowed for, I'm always a, a way ahead of time kind of guy. But we got there and the bus was old. The windows had water in them. It was rusty. Fans were like duct taped to the wall of the bunk. And so in the middle of the touring season, our tour manager and I were trying to communicate while I was in the ocean in, by Copenhagen on a ferry with this boat when she was in New Orleans uh, and find a new bus company within like five days before the band showed up. And we did. Wow. Um, we called every person imaginable, uh, everyone that I looked up to, mentors, tour managers, bus companies, and everybody said no, no, no. And finally, like uh, this German company, Berlin Rock Coaches came through and that we have a beautiful new bus ready to go and a great driver. And they were stellar. The, the, the boss loved it. The band loved it. The crew was happy. The driver took care of his responsibilities. He made fresh coffee in the morning. So we got very lucky. But things like that will pop up. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm 7,000 miles away from home. Our first show is a festival in the morning, and I need to find a new bus right now. Not an enviable position to be in by any means. Nope. I've had a, I had a truck driver get a DUI the morning of our first festival. That next day, I had to find a new truck company. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's a curveball. Yep. You've had every curveball thrown at you imaginable. Yep. And, but I enjoy it, man. It keeps me on my toes. I like being a yes guy when the, when the yes answer is reasonable and is, is what needs to be done. Yeah, those curveballs. Uh, one thing to have to deal with that when you're on the road and, and make adjustments. And I think, you know, there's some adrenaline and, and the heat of the moment, you know, gets you through it. But, you know, now that we're down and not doing anything right now, how are you staying productive and not making yourself, you know, go crazy. It's, it's difficult to be quarantined, to not be on tour, to not be having, you know, getting a regular paycheck and, you know, just trying to keep yourself, um, healthy in all aspects. What are you, what are you doing to accomplish that? Right. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of look at it as muscle memory in different categories. Um, so one, like we talked about in the first episode, I grew up being a drummer and playing drums my whole life. And there's a new project in Nashville I'm kind of in an audition process for, um, just to pass the time, you know, kind of a side project to play in. Um, and while there's nothing else going on on the touring side, I've been focusing on playing drums. Um, I'll play two to five hours a night. I've got my uncle has a little drum studio built that I use, and that just keeps my drum chops up. I enjoy playing. I enjoy doing some drum cover videos, and it, it brings me happiness. Um, I've recorded every show that we do live on tour. And so, you know, I'll take my multi-tracks of In This Moment or something from Nothing More um, and I'll load them in and I'll mix them, uh, you know, on Logic or Pro Tools uh, just to keep my mixing chops up. You know, I'll listen and I'll play with guitar tones, drum samples, delays, reverbs, uh, just try different things. You know, the motion of like putting microphones on my drums before I film uh, and plugging in XLR cables, it just feels familiar. So it doesn't start to feel like, you know, a crazy motion I've never done before, if you will. Um, and utilizing YouTube and the internet, I'm doing smart training. Uh, I'm doing a Dante training course right now. Um, I didn't even know what Dante was, uh, cause I've never used it, but I'm hearing people talk about it and I'm, I want to learn and I want to know what it is. Make, make myself more valuable. Uh, so I'm doing a training course online with that. I'm watching uh, nail the mix classes on YouTube. Uh, people don't know what that is. Uh, you can basically watch Nickelback come in and record their album from start to finish on a song from the miking technique all the way to the mastering of the song and everything in between. Um, cooking, 
I'm cooking different recipes that I've never made before, learning how to how to perfect a fillet on the grill. I'm getting pretty close. And uh, you know, just not not pigeonholing myself with one thing. I, I'm, I like to keep my hands involved in lots of different baskets. Um, like we talked a bit ago, I'm, I'm I'm new to the stock world of trading and buying, uh, but I just put my first initial amount into my account and bought some of my first stock. And now I'm excited to watch and learn how that operates and grows or doesn't grow. And, you know, just taking in something new. So really just utilizing my time, going to the beach, just watching the water, not stressing out. Um, you know, I, I set calendars in my phone too. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I will set a calendar at like, you know, 1 PM to, to do a cold press shot and then 5 PM cook dinner and seeing my phone go off with those reminders makes me think that I have things to do and I don't get bored and I don't get idle hands. So man, any, any source of energy I can burn, whether it's cooking or running or mixing a multi-track session or playing drums or helping a friend, you know, I've got some people that are going to do some live broadcasts down in Florida and they've asked if I'd come help them out with that. So staying busy is possible in any, any shape or form. Yeah. I like the idea of using your phone sort of like your own uh, version of master tour, but for your day to day yep. life, it's a good idea. Absolutely. Um, and I do, I leave my master tour active. So it still goes off each day. Our tour would have ended a couple of days ago at Red Rocks, which I was really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I put up a little post that said, uh, Red Rocks or white sand. You know, I, even though I'm no, I don't get to do that. I'm, I'm thankful that I get to come by the ocean and just hang out here. And you know, everyone is, is staying six feet apart. They only put so many chairs out and they're, they're being safe about it. So I'm thankful that I can just come sit in the sun and burn some energy thinking. Yeah. I've never been to Red Rocks, but I hear the load-in is not very fun. So, you you know, sitting on the no. beach may not have been such a bad thing. Right. It's uh, The load-in is, from what I've been told, not great either. But, you know, it's one of those things that makes you better. Now I'll know how to load into Red Rocks. And next time I do it, I would have I would have learned some maybe tips and tricks. But next yeah. time. Are there any, like, besides Red Rocks, are there any, like, iconic venues or things that you hope you get to in the near future? Yeah, you know, I've got a, uh, you know, Red Rocks has definitely always been a bucket list of mine. Uh, Madison Square Gardens, uh, Wrigley Field, um, and then I've always like I've been obsessed with Hollywood and the, the history of Hollywood since I was a kid. Um, and I would love to mix and do a show in the Whiskey a Go Go. I know it's small and it's hot and probably smells terrible, but you know, growing up idolizing Tommy Lee and Motley Crue and them getting to live right up the street, that whole the Troubadour, the Viper. Um, I would love to mix in some of those iconic little rock and roll Hollywood bars. Yeah. Oh man, to have been alive, or well, I was alive, but. <laughs> to have been able to go to some of those shows in the eighties, you know, and see the guns and roses and the Motley Cruz and the guys, you know, before they got to where they are now, that would have been incredible. Yeah. It would, you know, and yeah, in, in their heyday or even when they're still getting discovered. And then, you know, after Motley Crue comes off stage to go party with them up the street at their apartment was, I was going to say, uh, I I'd probably, awesome. we'd probably have developed, you know, pretty significant drug habits had we been in that scenario. So it's probably you know, it's funny. I always say like I was born 10 years too late. But if I would have been 18 in 1983, I would have probably been dead by 87. So it's for the better. Yeah, I was talking to an, an engineer, not on the podcast, but just uh, casually uh, a couple of years ago. And he was talking about the differences of touring today versus, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s because he's an old road dog. And yep. he was like, y- you did drugs because there was nothing else to do. And those you didn't have your iPad. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have Netflix. You know, you got on the bus, you got high, and you tried to make the miles disappear until you got to the next venue. Yeah. So I think I think we're lucky, you know, being in the the time that we are now, and people look back on this in 20 years and think we're probably archaic, but time will tell. Right. 
Yeah. You know, I'd really like to, I really enjoy doing this, the zoom uh, and the podcast with you as kind of encouraged me to want to do, I want to get back on the road and use the downtime to kind of talk to people more and use this as an outlet of, even if it's just like, like, you know, daily, like here's the cold press shots that I'm making like a little five minute clip. This so people can watch it and you, you can take information each day, like a five minute informative, this or that, whatever it may be, or a five minute stretch before you go to bed when you have to lay in a bus. Cause some people don't sleep great when you're on a, on a rolling home. Oh yeah. You know, six months out of the year. So and, uh, we'll see. It's the, the internet has been an amazing tool and you can use it in so many different aspects for, for resources. Yeah. I did a, t- a daily tour log when I was with stitched up last fall. Um, it mostly, text posts and pictures but um would do videos you know once a week or so and people loved it i was really surprised uh how many people like would talk to me about it at shows and i had no idea that people were you know that i was reaching the people i was and that they were enjoying it but it was selfish because i wanted to have a record of it for myself and then i was happy that everybody else got to enjoy it so i think that's a great idea right absolutely you know every little bit you never know like that one person you influence or that one person you motivate that's where i get it from I like, you know, I like Instagram. I like social media uh, and I like to find motivation and post. I always post positive because, you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to bump people out. I'm not here to put up dark material or, you know, be sad. Like that's all emotions we go through. But I believe that this always put out a positive vibe, make someone feel good and hope put a smile on their face. Yeah. That's a great, great point. I think that's a good place for us to stop. Um, I really, I think we covered some really interesting topics um, I, I pulled us back into the geek, uh, scenario every once in a while, but I think, you know, it was refreshing to talk about non-production, non-sound stuff, uh, and really focus on mental health, physical health, diet and exercise, and some of the logistical things. I, I think this was really fun. Absolutely. I, I really enjoyed this. It was a pleasure. Uh, and like I said, I like if we wanted to ever do another one, like I said, we can do a, a Christmas edition or a Halloween or something. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you back anytime. Um, be, you're fun to talk to and you've got, you know, a ton of great experiences and stories and perspectives and hopefully it benefits, you know, people that are listening, um, you know, and, and I'll put up links so that people can get in touch with you and, you know, if they cool. have questions or whatever, they'll be able to reach you through your normal uh, social media outlets and, and whatnot. And, um, awesome. I would, I would love that. You know, I'm, I'm always around. I always like to talk, meet people, uh, encourage teach, learn. It's, you know, it's what we're here for. You only get one life. Yeah. And, you know, like I said on the last one, you don't want to be 80 years old and wonder what if you would have tried or done something. Like, you only have one shot and we have to take it now. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Like you said in the first one, you know, that 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 opportunity presented itself and you knew you had to do it and away you went. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's scary, yep. but it also can be rewarding. And, yeah, worst thing that happens is it doesn't work and you try something different. Absolutely. I mean, every time you see something that you want, whether it's materialistic or a weight goal or a bank account number or a health or whatever it is, you know, and you see someone else that does have that, they have that for a reason. And it wasn't just handed to them. They worked for it. They, you know, for every, every 100 no's you're going to hear, you're going to hear a yes. Uh, so, you know, you just have to stick with it and, and keep to the point and keep achieving little goals till you reach that big one. You have to celebrate the small ones in between as your little milestones. And then once you get on that, that big one, you know, you celebrate that and then you don't stop there. You just keep going and going. Yeah. Um, it, it's growth. It's life. That's, that's kind of the, the equation. Yep. I wish I had like uh, the circle of life or something that I could lay down under this for a soundtrack because it's uh, it feels appropriate. Right. <laughs> well, we can, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out for the next one. Okay. Perfect. 
All right, Brian, uh, thanks so much again for coming back on and, and sharing these really unique and awesome perspectives. Um, and I, I, uh, I appreciate you doing this from the beach, but it really is making me super jealous. I keep seeing all the, <laughs> the white sand and the, the blue sky and the palm trees. And yeah, it's, it looks really awesome where you're at right now. It's uh, it was a pleasure again. Thank you for having me and, uh, you'll come down to the beach sometime. We could do it. We could do a one-on-one uh, podcast from the beach. Yeah, I well, yeah, it'd probably be simplified because I'm using Dante right now to record all of this through the D Live and get it onto the Mac and into tracks and then blah 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 blah. But yeah, maybe I'll just bring my old cassette recorder and a, a cheapy microphone and we'll we'll do that. Dude, I love we can we can do it floating in the water. We can get real creative with oh, it. Oh now now you're now you're talking. I'm gonna book airfare right now. Dude, now, dude, now's the time. <laughs> Yeah, and for and anybody new to the stock world, now is the time to buy airline stock before everybody starts flying again. Yeah, uh, not to turn this into an investing podcast, but are are you just doing straight up purchases, or are you doing like puts and calls, or anything like that? No, so I'm I'm brand new to it, like a few weeks in. But I, you know, I was I was very fortunate when uh, Crew Nation sent out their payment for the crew, and I wasn't I didn't know if I was going to get one or not, and so I chose when I got that to take it and just invest it because I've never invested money in stocks. So I just simply, I picked five things that I believe are going to grow um, as, as this opens back up and I'm starting to see them climb slowly. Uh, so I just put it in there and I'm just going to let it do its thing. I have a number I'd like to see by Christmas. And if I make that number off of this one investment, um, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep involved with it and keep learning and growing. Yeah, that's cool. Setting goals. It's so important. And, you know, like short term and long term goals, it, it really can have a lot of benefits, physical, emotional, uh, financial. So yeah, I think that's a good place for us to end. Absolutely. All right, Brian, thanks again. I will keep in contact. Uh, and I really appreciate you, uh, being a guest on the show today. It was absolute pleasure. Cool. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen and Heath D live system with sure microphones and waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music, and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. that's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 